Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the Tennis and Bagels podcast. Uh, this is me, Andre, and I'm here with Varsh today. Uh, and it's been a while. So last time that we did a, an episode was post-US Open. Um, and a few things have happened since. Like we had like two 1,000-level um, tournaments, like one on the women, one on the men, a couple of 500s as well, lots of 250s. Um, yeah, lots of things happening in the tours right now. Um, some changes. Uh, the finals are approaching. Then actually... We also have the WTA Elite Trophy, which is coming uh, for the first time since 2019, and players are uh, qualified for it already. I'm not sure if the race is already finished for this one. Unfortunately, I couldn't really find any um, any information on that on the WTA site, uh, at least not very easily. So if there's something that they want me to find, it's hard. So um, if it's there, make it easier for me to find, please. Um, but yeah, like uh, WTA finals are uh, coming up, ATP finals are coming up. And yeah, and I think there was actually another 1,000, two 1,000 tournaments on yeah. the WTA side and one on the men's side. And then, yeah, season's going to go long as usual. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. how do you watch? Yeah, basically, to summarize everything you said, there's just a lot of tennis. Basically. <laughs> so basically, all is just jam-packed within. And there's a lot more still. <laughs> and a lot more still to come, yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, you got at least three 500 still on the ATP. Then you got a whole week of... 250s after Paris, which yes. is the week after Basel and Vienna, and then you got you know the year-end finals, and then obviously then you have like the Davis Cup. We call that the extra stuff, you know, the Davis Cup afterwards, and then the you know not, not to say obviously winning winning for your country and all that is really big, but in terms of ranking points and, and stake in terms of like you know rank rankings, race or individual team tennis, individual competition as opposed to team tennis is is done by the 19th, and then you still have. You know, the next-gen finals, so good promo for people 21 and under and a good way to see new faces if you're catching them for the first time. Um, but basically, it doesn't stop until December 2nd on the main tour release. We've got challenges all over the place as well. So basically, yeah, the sport just keeps on going and going and going. And with that, I guess, there's quite a lot of content every single week that, <laughs> that comes yeah. out now. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, right now, the Asian swing, like, we're, we're almost through with it. We finish. We finish Beijing, and we right away move to Shanghai for the men because tournaments before uh, or after the Davis Cup, like the women kept going. You know, after the U.S. Open, they had San Diego 500, and then a week of Guadalajara. But for the men, we wanted to accommodate the 12-day Shanghai Masters for the first time, which is a men's only you know competition. So that that's the first time we've actually had a 12-day event ever that's men's only. Because we've had the combined ones, obviously with Madrid and Rome earlier this year, so we kind of got a flavor for what that's like. But when the men, when it's just men, 
Uh, you know, it definitely goes on a lot longer and it feels, mm-hmm. it feels even longer than 12 days because just because by the time you get to the latter rounds, you're splitting it by top half, bottom half. And so you end up having some days where some people get more than one day of rest. And, and if you lose early, there's not really a whole lot of tournaments you can go and play unless you're entered in a challenger beforehand and you're, you know, you qualified based on your ranking. So there's some of those things that come out of the tournament, you know, they can make some more money with it being over two weekends. It's all of that. We don't need to go into massive detail about that, but basically we finished Shanghai and then now this week we've got, uh, you know, Tokyo and then a couple of 250s. And then for the women, they also have, I believe, three 250s as well. So like six events coming up. But then the week after is where, you know, we start getting down to the nitty gritty, which is Basel Vienna for the men and then WTA Elite Trophy, which to be honest, yeah, it's always very forgetful. I'm not surprised that, you know, I mean, the qualification stuff is a little confusing. Like, it's basically 9 through 19 and then one wild card. Yeah. And I think I assumed before this week that a wild card was probably going to be Shin Wen because it's held in China. Shin Wen is a big deal. A big star, as we'll get to later on in the show. <laughs> but now she's in the top 20, and I think she's pretty much qualified now. Yeah. The only issue, Andre, with the year-end thing for me, the WTA lead for me, is that some people are going to go in uh, the year-end finals in Cancun and try to be an alternate. So like Sakari, I don't yeah. know how interested she'll be in playing the the WTA Elite Trophy because that's in China, and then she'd rather play. She'd rather travel to Cancun, you know, mm-hmm. and yeah, just that wait. tournament. Yeah, and just wait because Mohova hasn't been playing since the U.S. Open. I don't know what her health status, injury status is. It's very likely that Sakari gets in as an alternate just based on that alone, or at least gets to play one or two matches and then has a shot of getting out of the groups. Yeah. With her winning Guadalajara because she just climbed up a lot. And then all, all the other girls as well, like Kavitova, I think has already shut down her season. She's in that 9 through 19 range. Krachikova is playing the doubles in the year-end finals. So do you prioritize that? Which, you know, Krachikova has an amazing resume. She probably wants to win that again. Yeah. Versus going and playing for basically, you know, a second-tier WTA final. So I don't know, and in a completely different continent. So when you're already in China. Yeah, it's so. true. Yeah. But there's, there's a lot of things that could shake up with that event. I personally would love that the WTA is in a great financial state at some point. Right now it's not. They're operating on a loss and, you know, everything is because of the tour moving back to China and all the Peng Shui stuff combined with, yeah, COVID and just, you know, the organization growing, you know, not as big as the ATP in general. They're going through, so, through a lot of financial crisis, quite frankly. So I wish they had enough money to market, you know, the year-end finals early, to market you know, even the elite trophy stuff or the, you know, get their website more in order, I guess, and just, you know, make it, you know, make it more because the product and the players are really great. The, the, uh, the what they have to offer is, is amazing, but there is some confusion for fans right now because of the calendar mixed up and, and all of that. So I don't know where I was going with that, actually. Yeah. I think I was going to say that, huh? I think you're basically saying that the WTA is I was going to say that instead of that, I wish that they had a next gen. Oh, yeah. Like they do mm. for the men, because I think that'd be an awesome way to promote 21 and under players on, because they have so many of them on the WTA from yeah. the Fulvertovas to the Noskovas to the, you know, even like the parks and the, um, you know, I'm, I'm not coming up with names very well off the top of my head right now, but there's so many 21 and under yeah. that, you know, really ready to make a splash so yeah. that'd be a good way to do it because we've seen it work on the men's side with all the winners with the next gen finals like actually going on and having like pretty deep, pretty awesome careers so far yeah I think the one of the good uh, good ways to maybe um, get this elite trophy to work 
<laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> the other thing is I, I actually kind of like it because you get to see more like top 20 action. Um, yeah. They're good players as well, especially the WT right now is like extremely... Mm. Oh, the top 20 is so deep right Exactly. Now. It's very, it's very, very deep. Like they're all extremely talented. Um, and a lot of them actually have been even like top 10. So like you, you'd be basically be seeing like the, um, bunch of like former top 10 players just like playing a tournament. Like some of them, you would actually kind of like them to make the, the WTA finals. Uh, but maybe to mitigate that, like it could be interesting, like maybe instead of like doing um nine through like 19 i think maybe just go like i don't know like um 11 and until like 2022 20, or something like that so then you have like two alternates so that i would say finals are probably going to prioritize that anyways and it kind of in my in my opinion it gives a lot of players still like some um motivation to kind of try to crack the top 20 by the end of this season not that you have that much of um, you, you don't need that much of a, an excuse to try and get your ranking up. Um, it's always good enough to be there, just like on the lookout for the Australian Open, for example, that you want to be a seeded player. Um, it helps a lot in that in that regard. But at the same time, I feel like it, it, it kind of makes a. I think it, in a player's mind, like competitiveness, like it's if they want to be competitive. Um, now that you mentioned, I think you mentioned as well the Davis Cup as well. If they want to play things like that, like the Bledingen Cup and the Davis Cup. I'm assuming that's something that actually goes for points and prize money like that is something that would make them even more motivated to play. So I think the WTA Elite uh, Trophy, I think it's a good idea. Maybe it's on poor execution um, grounds as well, but like it's, listen, a lot of things are so rough right now for WTA anyway. So like, I guess like if they can at least like get those those things going, like this tournament yeah. will be played. I hope it'll yeah. be successful and that both yeah. of those players will end up playing. Uh, we'll see how it shakes out because it hasn't happened in three years, and um, I wonder how how motivated these players, like especially like because like I just don't know the status of a lot of them. Like even Benchich, for example, like hasn't been yeah. playing forever. She's also in that group, you know. Uh, and then like when it was already shut down her season, yeah. he's like I don't know if she'll want to go as an alternate or not. So they have some decisions to make. Let's say. But you sure. do get quite a lot of points. I think the winner of that gets more than you would for a 500. And some of these 500s, like if you win a 500 nowadays on the WTA, I consider that a pretty big deal. Like I'll, I would yeah. take you very seriously because winning five, in terms of like winning big titles and winning majors even, because 500s are like, you know, all top 30 players basically now. Yeah. It's like, I mean, starting next year, basically wouldn't be only allowed to play two 250s and then one of them has to be in your home country. Yeah. And, in, yeah. In and the other thing country. is like, yeah, and the other thing is that, um, well, since we've mentioned that, like the WTA's depth is so huge that, like, if we even winning a five hundred, it's almost like winning a, a one thousand at this point. So, like, because the yeah. players that are playing there are normally yeah, so black, so big. Between winning yeah. a one thousand and a major anymore, if they keep doing the twelve day format, the only difference is majors hundred and twenty eight player draw. This one ninety six. I mean, obviously you have the prestige and the ranking points and all of that more at majors, but in terms of like your day-to-day routine and in terms of like your preparation yeah. and everything, like you still got to win mostly if you're unseated, you got to win seven matches to win a 1,000 now over 12 days. Yeah. Whereas then if you're seated, like if you're a Shrantek, you still have to win six. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's it's quite tough to to win these. And that's why we're still seeing like new new champions every time. But I feel like it's it's good because it's a it's a group of like, eight, nine really good players. Like this WTA field for Cancun, love it. 
on him. Like all these players are deserving of like, like if if, if I were to tell you, read you this top eight, this would be a, a thorough like, yeah, these were the eight players this year, like no fans or buts. I don't know who I would trade for any of them. I don't think I would trade any because they're all just, they've achieved so much. Like seven or eight of them have been in a major final. Mm. The rest of all won at least one big title. All of them. Even, even Pagul has won a big title. and Two of them, really. Just... Two of them, yeah. yeah. I mean, this year. Like, one this yeah. season, yeah. Yeah, so I think I think the field, like I'm really excited about Cancun, I will just say, because yeah. I think the way the groups are going to shake up, like, it's going to be great no matter what. Yeah. Can't really go wrong with it. Yeah. And uh, we obviously, like, uh, a player that is going to be missing out in Cancun, at least for now, it's, uh, we mentioned her before, Sakri, just, she, she won her second title of her career, first since, like, 2019, I think. Yes, and, it's 2019 Rabat. Yeah. So it's been four and a half years. And it was a jump as well, because it was a 250 that she won, and that now she just won her first big title of her career in Guadalajara. Yeah, it was a long time coming, because she'd been in, obviously, everyone knows about her semi-final and final woes, yeah. but so consistent, always getting herself in those spots, yeah. um, especially tournaments outside of the majors, like Vegan and Vega on tour. And like she knows that, she knows all the chatter about it. She even mentioned it yeah. after she won that, you know, Basically, this is, you know, I've, I've heard all this stuff and she knows um, what's being written and all that said about her. Kind of like the Coco Golf approach, I guess, up here exactly. in the US Open. But uh, aside from that, like, it was, I was very happy for her because, you know, she she had to go through Garcia in the semis, which could have been tricky, but it, it, uh, it ended up being pretty straightforward. And then she she was up against a finalist that was very unexpected in Caroline Dolahide, you know, outside of the top 100. And and just had a really good week. The field wasn't as strong. You can say that, sure, but she was still a heavy, heavy favorite. And the issue has never really been about like, because she, I know that she can turn up and beat a top ten player on any given day. She has a pretty good record against top ten players. But it's sometimes these matches where like she's lost a she's lost a final before to Maya Sharif a year ago. So yeah, even though uh, you know it's it's also the stage and the occasion more than the opponent. I think so. The fact that she was able to get over that. And win without dropping a set in any of these matches. She still came through, you know, Garcia who was playing some really good tennis and she still came through Dolahide in the final. And just overall, like, it was just such a big weight off her shoulders to get that 1,000. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean she'll go on. And, you know, it was a little bit kind of like Rublev winning Monte Carlo. Like, it was kind of a long time coming. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, in the sense, like, you know, if, if things break through again, she'll probably get there again and probably win another title. And, you know, keep keep putting herself in the mix, keep staying in the top ten. Yeah. But uh Yeah, yeah, you know, think, yeah. She, for her that she can go all the way and win one, I think yeah. is is pretty big because she's also like not the youngest player anymore. She's twenty eight. Yeah. Which is like, you know, like you, you know, you maybe have three or four really good years still left, but it's it's kinda hard to know. And so yeah. For her, yeah, I was just was just really happy because she was so emotional and yeah, and like yeah, and it, it's it, as you were mentioning before about the elite trophy. Like maybe she will decide to go to the WTA finals, and I think it would be um, even deserving if she and managed to get in, even if it was like by um, as you were saying, like some if a player decided that they were going to withdraw, uh, you wouldn't feel out of place. The Sakari is there; she wouldn't feel like. So often he feels in the ATB, for example, you'd get yeah, like an RBA um, um, going into uh, the, the ATP finals as like an alternate. Sometimes you can feel like, oh, you're just kind of like feeling on the spot because you kind of know that he doesn't necessarily have much of a chance. Like you can, you will be a bother, of course, 
but uh, you'd say like Sakri has made, I think, the semi. Oh, and also, other than the semi, finals, he yeah. semis last year, and last she didn't year. even drop a set. I, I mean, no, no, she didn't even drop a match. She went all over round robin matches. Yeah, and yeah, so like obviously, would you would still make the field extremely interesting for the WTA finals, oh, and yeah, you would yeah. still not necessarily know what the semi finals finals would line up. I think she will probably go as an alternate, just because yeah. like the chances of her playing one match are still pretty. Pretty high given that we haven't seen Moholba play since the US Open. And when Drusova was also nursing a bit of an injury at the US Open against Keys or in that tournament, and Jabor is also nursing a bit of a knee issue. So oh, all things point to Maria going, I think. Yeah. 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 And if we're, yeah. Yeah. But if we're, if we're like getting back to like more, I guess like more recent recent events, like we obviously had like yeah. Higashi on tech winning. Um, her first her first 1000 tournament of the season which for me is insane um, yep. given what she's won this year as well like that's I guess like alluding a bit to what you were saying about like the 500s being um, extremely important she has won two of them um, one of them being Stuttgart which is yeah. um, which could be a 1000 event it, it's, it's basically treated yeah it's basically treated as a 1000 event Stuntek um, has set the bar so high yeah. like in terms of what to achieve because the year that she had last year yeah, like to do to come even close to expecting to do her to do that again. It's it's like uh, it's just, yeah, it was just like generational stuff. Like the year that she had last year, like to win thirty seven matches in a row, like that, two majors, like you know, being twenty one years old, like turning twenty one. She won the first four one thousands of the year as well, right? Yeah, it was just it was just ridiculous on both clay and hard courts, and then winning the U.S. Open, you know, coming through those gritty matches and like. Basically, just establishing herself already as an all-time great in the yeah. game, and then coming back this year and even just defending a major. Like I said, this year was going to be a success if she won a major. She did that. She won a major. She defended her title, and I think like she ha- she's obviously the- what happened is like basically the rest of the tour got better. I think. Yeah. And I so, think so basically, like the rest of the tour, everyone, Sabalenka, Rabakinopoulos, and everything, everyone got better. She's still winning over eighty percent of her matches. Her record this year is sixty-three and eleven, which. For a normal player, it's like, you know, just uh, already like they'll never get there. And for her to do that again in her sophomore year. And then this was already her fifth title of the year. Yeah, exactly. She's now won one at every level this year. And, uh, you know, she still has a year in finals to go. And she basically dominated the 1000s. Like if you look at her career in 1000s, like she basically, she hasn't played Guadalajara or Wuhan, but everything else, her, her worst, best result is like semis. Semis in Canada, semis in... <laughs> Studies in Toronto this year, so like that's that's her worst best result right now, and it's like she's only twenty two, so it's kind of insane, like everything that she's achieving and the way that she looked that week in Beijing, particularly the last three mm-hmm. matches against Garcia and then Goff, mm-hmm. who beat her in Cincinnati and was on a sixteen match win streak herself. It was kind of like back to their previous seven matches of like, oh, I can just hit you off the court and kind of play like essentially my brand of tennis, and it's gonna work, and I still have the matchup advantage. No, Goff was a little hurt in the second set, and it was a good effort for her just to get to the semis as well. So she's, you know, I'm not saying it's going to be a one-sided head-to-head completely, but it'll just be interesting to see how that play that plays out. Because I think they'll have some interesting matches, and you know, I think I would expect Goff to at least win a couple more. And yeah, for sure, know, it'll be a rivalry for sure because she's really stepped up her game too. And so it's just like the women's status is in is in great hands. Like Sabalenka is deservingly number one with the year that she's had. Shiontek now has a chance to get it back. So I'm, I'm interested in that because the field for Ken Kuhn is really good, but there's also the year and number one on the line. And she's, 
I think 700 points behind it would be really huge for her to get two year number ones in a row. Yeah. Um, and especially after all the talk about her this year, like the field catching up and some of those losses like Rubikina and the Australian Open and Ostapenko at the US Open, some of those bigger hitters, uh, you know, that can still challenge her. But it was uh, it was very interesting because Sam Sonova has a very good head-to-head against Rubikina. She's won like two, just like four and oh. And Rubakina has a very good head-to-head against Shanti. I was trying to figure out, like, why does this triangle exist? You know, why is it that yeah. Samsonova has a really good head-to-head over Rubakina? That one is the hardest one to explain. Samsonova over Rubakina is the hardest one to explain. Rubikina over Shantek makes a little makes a lot of yeah. sense to me just because, you know, huge like for strength tennis and so yeah. and, and just like Rushi got right off to the first shot and not really letting into any kind of rhythm. And, mm. you know, just, it, it makes sense based on the matches I've seen. But then for Shantik to come out and just roll over Santana in the final, I was like, okay, like I, I can, because but what I liked about Niga this week or in Beijing is in, when she was getting out head, she wasn't trying to out hit the opposition herself and just fight fire with fire. Yeah. She's relying on her strengths, which is she has generational movement. She can cover the court amazingly well. She has incredible speed. She has a great return and an, an awesome open stance backhand and beforehand they can do damage when she's ahead in the rally. But yeah. if you're Trying to out head your opponent when you're already being out head, it's not going to work out very well. And she 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 adjusted. She made some some really good uh, counters this week. Like her her serve, she was hitting it a lot better. She was hitting body serves a lot better. She mm. was adding some new things, coming to the net a little bit more often, adding a bit more variety in her game too, which used to exist before she won Rolling Euros in 2020. But then afterwards, when she started becoming this dominant machine and amazing, like just couldn't lose a match. That's when like she started to get very very methodical in terms of how she plays, and it was just set every single time. And then a few times this year we didn't see her adjust when she played against really big hitters, and she kind of went about with the same thing. But this week she adjusted. She actually showed me something very different, like that she can win these matches against very different type of players and fall in a row because she was that match against Garcia was one of the best matches of the year in the quarters. Yeah. Um, and she was down a set and like three times two points away from the match and every single time she just came up with the glutes and uh, and delivered so yeah it was just a very good week and I think what she needed because first 1000 since Rome 2022 and it just didn't really feel right like in all of our minds no, yeah. she hasn't won a 1000 yet and so so then I mean I mean now she has and she can even finish the year number one and if she doesn't not a big deal because it's still a very good year so yeah. and to be fair like just the fact that she even has a chance of like claiming the number one back and if she finishes it just like shows goes to show like not only um it was obviously a successful year but like to come out after what happened last year to get as many points even to still be in that position you know like she had to still play well and she she kept the number one for a while still i think she lost it only yeah. after the yeah, soap yeah, yeah, yeah so it's like yeah because she had such a huge lead at the end of Last year, exactly. but it takes something really, really, really special to for anyone else to get it back. And yeah, Sabalenka like, kind of did that. So yeah, it was great though. Like Sabalenka had a great season. She still had like a few things that she needed to work on. Um, but I'm glad that she was able to come out. Um, some of the semifinals as well that she was uh, not necessarily winning, especially at the Grand Slams. She did lose two. Um. Wait, did she make the final? Yeah, she did make the final. Yeah, the US those losses were, were tough. But, like the, yeah. the Mohova match where she, had, she was up 5-2 yeah. in the third, and then the, the match against Jabor in the semis, she was also beating. But then then I think it was important to win the semi in, in New York. Yeah. I know, win, win one again, and then she was back in the final, and then, you know, then she keeps scaling with an excellent 
version yeah. of Goff after the first set who just played the perfect way to beat her, which is yeah, yeah. use her speed and her her defense and extract a lot of errors. Which you guys covered really well actually on this on this mm-hmm. podcast you went in with the yeah. with the final. But um then yeah. So But yeah, I think that um I do hope that Sabalenka is able to you know, play a super good tournament like a WTA finals because it's like one of those sad things that happens like that uh, especially I'd say um more often at the WTA side like when a player goes on to become world number one without necessarily winning the title that they're in uh, it happens with uh Pliskova I guess we had like Dinara oh, yeah. wasn't winning Grand Slams and things like that so it's it's a little bit more common I, I guess because of the dominance of the big three we haven't really seen to become number one in the ATP has just become tough because of this um, this blockage of the big three. It, it kind of happened a bit with Medvedev last year, um, but uh, it's it's just good to see that the number one player is playing well. So I would say like if Sablinka is able to do that, yeah. Yeah. it's going to be a great uh, thing, I guess, for the narratives online um, <laughs> to shut down some of the haters as well. But also for her to just if she is yeah, able to finish like, the year as number one, points. yeah. To go so many yeah. points to go with that number one that I don't mm-hmm. think people should be like it's different exactly. from Jankovic, you know, uh, like Safina, even Wojniacki and stuff because she's won the major. Yeah, and she won the major before. All the other yeah. three, she won a one thousand, which was Madrid. She won a five hundred before the Australian Open. Yeah, she's had some yeah. other good weeks and finals in Wales final too, and this one and year in finals. Even last year, she made the final, so yeah. she'll have to defend that. But that's not. You know, she she more than made up for it with the year that she already had, I guess. Yeah. There's like, I don't know, Garcia, Bogorosa, players like that, who are a bit more really hard to read on a week to week basis. Yeah. That's when like people are like, Oh, I think Niran Finals is cursed. Uh, I don't know. If, you know, if and then you don't you don't see that consistency later on. But I think with this group Yeah. Like they're all just playing so well and they've just sustained it for such a long time that I think like it should carry over to next year. Yeah, it should. To a large extent. Mm-hmm. Especially the people, especially because like most of Rubikina, Shrantik, and Goss, and Coco, like they're all 25 and under. So mm-hmm. unless they get injured and unless, you know, some other players like that are not on our radar right now and step up, like I think they'll be sharing a lot of the dominance. Like it's not yeah. going to be one person dominating, but it'll be, you know, this group of yeah. eight to 10. So. Yeah, hopefully Rabakina is able to stay healthy as well, like for the oh, yeah. part of the He's season. so powerful getting, few, yeah. you know, viruses and just getting yeah. cold. And there was that whole thing with the, um, that performance bias. But she was able to put that behind her and actually have a pretty good week, beat Sabalenka. And then just, yeah, then lost to Samsonova, but still she got to the semis. And... So, yeah. very good. Yeah, and if we get to... Uh, get to this week's uh tournaments like the ones that finished this week as well um we had um we had three wta tournaments uh and obviously the shanghai one that we've mentioned i guess we can like try to try to say something about the shanghai tournament right now since we've been just doing wta for now so we we had uh, the shan tournament was the the 12 day format as you said like what did you find of this well, I mean, the storyline at the end was was interesting in the sense that like all these players had done something before at one thousand levels, so I knew that like for one of them they're going to win their second, and so that was already cool because Dimitrov finally got the win that he was looking for in terms of his year because like his year has been very consistent, 
Yeah. When he kept running up against, like, he lost to Zanera four times, or he lost to Djokovic twice, he lost to Alcaraz twice very comfortably before this, Medvedev, Stefanos. Like, he's, he's ran into, like, a lot of top 10 players, but, like, winning two-thirds of his matches every single time. Or winning, like, two matches in every event, and, like, he just looked like this was his best season since 2017, but he really didn't have that much to show for it in the rankings. But now, now he actually did because he played like peak tennis against Alcaraz yeah. after losing the first set, and and then and so that was like back to like very very good version of peak Grigor, and then he was able to back it up and beat Jari, and then Rublev was also playing like some of his best ball striking tennis in a, in a long long time, yeah. and he came he he beat he impressively beat Umber and Paul and some of these players that he actually doesn't do very well against, but he he managed to play really really good this week. Yeah. And and then he got there, and then Harkot just known to be super great in hardcore Masters one thousands, which hasn't quite translated to the majors yet. But uh, but he's he's always there. He's always uh, some somewhere present in the latter rounds of these these events, and with his serve and the con- quick conditions, and just the the game that he has with the backhand that stays so low, how well he defends, how good he is at com- coming to the net as well. The main issue in his game usually is the forehand. But on a quicker court like this, where he's getting a lot of help from a serve, and he's not having to play a whole lot of long rallies where the forehand could become suspect in some spots, I actually thought he was going after it a lot more and using it as an approach shot, coming to the net a bit more with it, you know, using the forehand to set up his uh, his backhand and just win a lot of points on defense. So he was playing really, really well in the tie breaks, which he, he's played so many of this year. That's kind of been the thing with Harkat. Just almost every match feels like the same because he's been playing so many tie breaks, but you just know his serve is so good that he's going to get to the breakers and he's not going to lose serve very often. And that already with how good his ground game is, it puts a lot of pressure on guys. And so he was, uh, the story of the final was also about his serve because it was could have gone either way with him and Rublev. But every single time he just, he stepped up with his serve, like 21 aces and a bunch of water turnables and like really big spots. And Rublev will have a couple of regrets, but, uh, but, but at the end, I think, I think the final was, was uh, was was decent. I mean, maybe not everyone's cup of tea because because of the styles of both. But yeah. still, like uh, a p- pretty good finish. I mean, Sitter. I was uh, hoping to see him like back it up a little bit more, but he still won a couple of matches. And then Ben Shelton like finally won back to back matches outside of the majors, and he he played that really good match against Sinner. Corda obviously had an amazing week. Yeah, it was, it was a good rebound. It was a good rebound week for some of the guys who whose rankings don't quite reflect, I guess, let's say, the peak level of their game. I think that's a good way to put it, because, like, Korda had a very good January, but then he got injured for three months and couldn't play with his wrist. And then he showed some flashes in Queens, but he never really got going. He struggled with consistency. He wasn't he wasn't physically all the way there. And then finally, he's put together three really good weeks, and he beat Medvedev, which, for the second time this year, which is proving to be a very good matchup, actually, for him, in terms of tactics. Uh, each time he's played Daniel so far, and then Eventually, he lost to Harkach, but, but yeah, now Harkach has won two Masters 1000s, and he's now the next step for him is just how do I translate this into the hardcore Masters? Yeah. He obviously has the Wimbledon semi, and he's now number 11 in the race, so he could also sneak into turn, maybe. Yeah. But mm. yeah. 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 Kind of it doesn't really yeah. change my overall perception of any of these players. Yeah, I do, I do find that like. <clears throat> I do think that Rublev. Um, he was showing to me like being a bit more patient, like as in like from what I saw, like from most of the highlights, it looked like he was, he was backhand um, very well. Yes, but... I saw that. Like I thought, 
I thought his backhand was a uh, his rally backhand. Like felt like he, he was able to like add more spins, like put it a little bit deeper, and he was actually like hitting it down the line a lot better, timing yeah. it better as well. Before it used to be a good shot, but like nothing necessarily that special. That he can like, deal with, and now he can actually yeah. deal with it, and he can rip it, he can take it early down the line. The down the line thing you mentioned is very big because yeah, he likes to stay in the ad court. Yeah, and he likes to dictate with his forehand, kind of inside out, inside yeah. in, and just create points that way, which is safe, high aggressive tennis. But then, the backhand sometimes, like he gets a little bit short of the tray eight. He's not, he's not quite, you know, yeah. doing enough damage. But now, now that he has that, that makes him, that adds a different type of dimension to his baseline game. That yeah, makes him, yeah, tougher. In, in the forehand, I thought he hit his forehand a lot better as well. Like just in the yeah. sense that, like for for me, uh, and and. I used to draw the comparison with David Ferrer a lot more because David Ferrer was the type of guy who would hit this forehand always deep, always in the corners. Um, yeah. But I, I felt like Rublev was doing a lot of that as well, which in a sense was kind of easier to read. I felt like I'm Evadev staying like far away, like in the court, like he makes it easier to defend. But I felt like this time he was like using the angles a lot more. Like he was trying to like go for like more um, the, the service line where he meets the um, the the outside lines so i felt like he was just changing it up a bit in terms of his targets i think is is as good as his game can get i think he's getting there like i feel like it's um it's the type of like small improvements that are necessary like to stay where he is and he hasn't had like the best of the seasons either so um in comparison to like his own standards i guess like he did win monte carlo but um i don't think he was necessarily um yeah, he's kind of in terms yeah. of seasons. He's always yeah. been a kind of the same player the last four years in the yeah. sense. Always at that five to eight range. He's always in the Grand Slam quarterfinal rules. Usually having one deep or one or two deep runs at a Masters event, picking up some other titles along the way. Yeah. I think this year he won he won one other two fifty in Bushtad after Wimbledon and then he won Monte Carlo. Yeah. But he made three major quarterfinals. So I guess you have that and then this this other Masters final, which he came so close to winning, he had championship coin. Her cut yeah. just wiped it away with an ace. But I agree with you on the forehand. I like the I like the fact that he's using the width better. Yeah. And the angles, because then he can just hit the straight one down the line. And if he could just volley a little bit better and just yeah. be more comfortable at net, it would just make his life a lot easier because now all of a sudden he can finish points without well, having to rely on the forehands. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Without having to rely on hitting that same forehand like five times. He can hit it twice. Just come in, finish easier. I, you know, he, he he tends to do better in doubles actually, because he's he's so tough for the guy who's at the net that he can just, uh, you know, hit very good passes. Yeah. He can come up with some good shots, like kind of yeah. from the baseline. But uh, but and then and then the second serve, I do think he's protected that a little bit better. The backhand, the the improved the, the improved uh, tactics on the backhand helps him protect his second serve a little bit better. I think, although it still can be attacked because it's predictable and you kind of know when it sits up you can yeah. you, can, you know rush him like off that first shot but I like his uh, I like the the way that he fights and, and, and plays sometimes it's a little hard to watch because he's so hard on himself Yeah, and uh, like on championship point today after losing a really tough match he was obviously emotional and he, he's a great guy like afterwards and and he's so lovable like in the locker room and everyone gets along so well with him he's funny as well very relatable just overall like uh, such a great content machine for the ATP <laughs> and in most of their videos that he they do like he's just always this, if you know Robot is in it you know it's going to be an awesome video because he just delivers yeah. with his wholesomeness and his content and his style of speaking English but 
during the matches, he's so hard on himself and he'll, he'll hit himself with a leg and there's the shin with the racket. And it's like, you want him to vent out the steam, but not, not by hurting himself. So that's the, that's the thing that uh, sometimes can be tough to watch, but he's, yeah. Uh, yeah. In, in a way I would rather better a little bit mentally as yeah. well. Like, you know, even the Monte Carlo thing that he won, um, I think that was big, just like it was for Sakuri, like just to win one of those big titles and yeah, he knows he can do it. So, I think in terms of like him hitting himself, I think I would prefer he hits the ground and just break. Yeah, no, I, I, I was like, see, before my racket smash, yeah. because at this point, it's like. it's yeah, not, It doesn't change anything. The only thing that like, you're, you're smashing your record anyways, but this way you're hurting yourself. Like you literally could injure yourself so badly that you could. Yeah, cool. yeah. And, yeah. and sometimes like I was there in San Diego once when he was playing Nori a couple of years ago and he hit himself so hard on the knee and he had to, you know, the, there was blood coming out and he had to like take a bit of a. Yeah so-called timeout and just you know get that it's just like that's just self-harm and it's it's just psychological yeah. damage and yeah uh, yeah i i I'd prefer he just smashes racket i wouldn't have yeah. a problem with it yeah like i mean just take the violation but yeah, yeah. you get a warning and you yeah know, you'll have to pay a little bit of a sign but if it helps you play better why you know why not because he's clearly not somebody who can just bottle it in because that doesn't seem to work like he he does usually do a good job of resetting so yeah, just hit, hit the ground, smash your racket next time. Yeah. <laughs> Not that I'm advocating him to do that. Yeah, no, but like if you're going to hit your racket oh, somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But, uh, if you can't help it. It's good also because like also he's definitely going to qualify now for the year in finals and he's yeah. number five and he's separated himself a lot from six through ten. Or I think there's only one spot left, right, for the, the finals. Well, I mean, I, like, Wilgot hasn't locked it in yet, but I assume he will. I think Sitsipas will probably do. And I think Zverev will too. So I think they'll at least really one spot. Well, like, I mean, I mean, it's interesting. Yeah, it's true. Obviously, the first four are in. Um, and then the next out is like Rublev 5, Sitsipas 6, Zverev 7, Hogar Runa 8. Although Runa is struggling with a lot of his, with a back problem and he's not been himself since Wimbledon and he's struggling to win any matches. He might not it might be wise for him to just shut it down for the year if he's well, yeah. not in a great place physically. But uh, yeah, and then like Harkoch is now 11. Harkoch could get in. Root could get in. Fritz could get in. But I think I think pretty much Rublev, Tsitsipas, and Zverev, they feel like locks to me. So I think I yeah. feel like there'll be like a spot, there'll be like a six to seven player battle for that eight spot. That's what I think. Yeah, same. And uh, what, um, I mean, obviously, like in terms of ATP finals, it doesn't really matter because Alcaraz is already qualified. But what do you think? Um, I think since, since the US Open hasn't really been as good, obviously, I think that's his first tournament since. But Almost um, since Wimbledon, though, to be honest. Because... True. Yeah. I mean, he did have the big Cincinnati um, yes. tournament, yeah. which he actually struggled was... to get there. But Yeah, that was that was uh, quite an ordeal because I was, I was there for like all those matches and he, uh, you know, since since Wimbledon, he was, you know, I, I mean, it's still like an amazing year. Just like me, like you win a slam and you yeah. know, the all time rates. Like, it's a great season whether or not he gets to number one or not. And to be fair, if he doesn't get to number one, it's like Djokovic won three slams, got to the finals of the other one. Yeah. It's a lot of ground. You have to like basically do like win almost every other tournament or get to the finals at least to like even yeah. have a chance with the schedule that Djokovic, even with the small schedule that Djokovic pulls. But uh, like... He never really found the range on his forehand, 
and he was yeah. still getting along to further in all these matches and like for any other player it's like a great result but we judge him on this all-time great yeah. standard so it's like 16 and 5 seems feels atrocious as opposed to like you know winning it's like you know for him it is a surprise that he didn't win any of canada since he us open beijing or shanghai so like five events that he entered yeah and you know three of them without Djokovic, and he didn't come away with the with the title but i think he's just he's putting a lot of pressure on himself right now to get that number one he is obviously not 100 percent physically in terms of his explosiveness yeah. you can definitely see that in terms of also like his yeah just like the way he's defending sometimes in the corners and just how you know it's still things are really high level like top 10 level kind of tends to beat him right now but he's just you know he's not converting a lot of his break chances yeah. it's, it's basically just very normal after you win a slam it's kind of like what he went through after Madrid last year, in between Madrid and the U.S. Open. Yeah, it's, it's like kind of like that, and I think he's just exhausted because it's been a long year. And he's what will help him is that, like, I just hope he's hundred percent healthy for Australia. Same. Because to me, that matters more than finishing the year number one. Because you can get the year number one later. He'll he'll get it back again at some point. Yeah, he's only twenty. He's already, not, like, yeah. he's already had it for thirty six weeks, which, yeah. by the way, is like amazing. Like thirty six weeks already. Yeah. Already puts him like almost within touching distance of of Murray, who yeah. had to do it in in the big three era when they were in their prime. But for him, like, yeah, like he won a slam. I don't really care that much about what happens in Basel, Paris, and yeah, you know, in finals for him. I just hope he doesn't injure himself seriously so that he doesn't have so that now he's compromised in the offseason like he was last year. Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Then he couldn't play Australia. I think that's bigger because like the tournament, yeah. like I don't want to say needs him, but it would be so much better if he was there yeah. because of the possibilities and the matchups and the, the star power he has and, you know, yeah. But I would add, I would rather even like he maybe like misses Basel because I don't think that there's much need for him to play there unless yeah, he actually wants right to get now, like some indoor court uh, practice. Yeah. But still, right now he just wants to give number one to go because if he does win Basel, he'll be tied with Djokovic. So then it's basically yeah. who does better in Paris and turn between him and him and Novak. Yeah. But yeah, like I don't know how much it really means long term. Like he he can do it and like because right now that's his, that's all he has. He can just put all his eggs in that one basket for the next four weeks. And then he's not even playing any warm-ups post uh, pre-Australia. I read that he's mm. not going to be playing United Cup or any of the tournaments. So that will extend his offseason a little bit to where he has almost two months, which is like two months is a long time for for a player like Alcaraz. Like he could, yeah. he could come back and we could see some more improvements because already we saw quite a bit more improvements this year in the first six months. He already seemed like a better player to me. 
from yeah. February to Wimbledon than he did it last year. So mm-hmm. yeah. it's already a better year than last year, but it's just, yeah, like it's it's all kind of all about the majors, which sounds crazy to say about a 20 year old, but yeah. it's just that he, because he's done so much, I, I, it's kind of mostly about the slams at this point. Like the fact that he didn't get to play one or before. Yeah. I think Australia in particular, I think Australia and maybe uh, Roland Garros like in a sense, because um, Australia, he's, he hasn't really played it since he got to the top 10. Like he um, he obviously had like the good run where he lost to Matteo Berrettini, but then like came back like next yeah. year, didn't play. Uh, and then, and he's, yeah, and he was like number 32, I think, or 33. Yeah, or, he was not yeah. in the top 30. So we haven't seen really, I haven't seen Alcaraz like, you haven't really seen Akras at the Australian at, Open, yeah. yeah. So, so that uh, that will be like a first. Yeah, maybe just to set the tone for what you have to expect, like in the in the next few years of his career, maybe next three or five. Um, I think he would definitely he definitely should be aiming to be healthy for the Australian Open as best as he can. Not that he shouldn't should think too much about it right now. I think like he. If he wants to end his season like on a high note, I think he would like to get like Paris and Turin or one or the other. Um, yeah. And number one would obviously be really good for him. I think it wouldn't be great. I think confidence-wise, they could probably make him feel like he he is still at the same level as Djokovic. Uh, not that I feel like confidence is much to be worried about Akras, but um, he did sound a little like down like after his US Open semi against um, Medvedev. Um, but yeah, like he's very honest after these losses. Like he'll straight up tell you that you know I need to be more mature. Yeah, and that I lost my focus and that I need to be better prepared. And but he yeah. say these things that feel like um, this feels like the like, end of the world at times. <laughs> yeah, and 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 it'll be uh, it'll be like very honest and raw, mm-hmm. and he won't be like you know just giving you the usual answers when he comes to yeah. But yeah, but at the same time, I feel like even if he d- does focus on that, I feel like it's it's an entire must for him to not lose sight of the long term and or the medium yeah. term really being Australian Open um, yeah. and the, the slams next year. Um, because, yeah. I, I guess it will help that he has some days off before Basel actually starts for him. Yeah. Uh, that he, I basically read he's not going to be training or practicing for eight days, which is like, yeah. you know, a good amount of time. So. Maybe he'll be fresher, yeah. and then and then in Basel, like I think most of the top ten players are in Vienna, but obviously there's a lot of other thing players that can, you know, keep it close and just have to work really hard and yeah, win those fight matches. Yeah. And, and speaking I think of what's to give it a go and just see how close. Yeah, for sure. And speaking of Basel, like remembering who did he lose to last year in Basel? Was... <laughs> Nowhere to be seen nowadays, unfortunately. Yeah, nowhere found since Neil Wells, basically. Yeah. He has been having injuries here and there, but at the same time. The knee, right? The knee issue. Yeah, the knee, the, one, the knee got rough. In yeah. Paris, he had some, he had cramps, diarrhea or something. Yeah, yeah. He was like a, a, a it was a, a virus, I think. He was, yeah. I think, a diarrhea. Yeah. He is, I think he's just looking for a total reset now. Like, come next yeah. year, like, I think he might drop out of the top 40 or 50. Yeah, yeah. It says no form whatsoever. Like last year, he was winning sixteen matches in a row, three titles in a row, and yeah, beating Alcaraz and Basel. And now, now I don't even know when was the last time he won a match. Maybe it was yeah. Toronto. I think he won. He won one round at the in Cincy. He beat Berrettini there. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Toronto, he lost the first round. He lost in the first round. Menorino lost first round in Australia. I mean, not Australia, US Open. Yeah, he, he just, he's had a really rough time. Like, it's, it's just not gone according to plan at all. Yeah, I mean, it, I don't even see much wrong. He won a Labor Cup yeah. match, but that doesn't really count. Much. Yeah, he, he he does tend to do well, like in group competitions. Like I feel like he kind of needs like, yeah. it feels like I feel like he needs some sort of like motivation, like just energy to go off of. But like it's it's been tough for him uh, yeah. lately. I don't even see much wrong with this game. To be fair, like I feel like it's just like the execution. Maybe the mind is completely off well, right now. It's but... one of those games where like you have to be really on, yeah, and play your best because when things are not working, he doesn't have that many other options right now. Like, Even the backhand, I feel like the backhand is actually slightly better than what it used to be, but yeah. He's like, uh, he wants to be just relying on his serve and his forehand and his athleticism. And yeah. If he can just get back to the basics and just focus on those strengths. Yeah. You know, because what happens is he tends to become really like mechanical when yeah. things are not like, going well and it's kind of doesn't have like the he doesn't have great variation on the second serve so it's kind of predictable middle of the box um, yeah the backhand is so so like it used to be much better him. for whatever reason it's just changed this some of uh, something about his motion feels like yeah his arms are a little too stiff sometimes yeah still his body more yeah he shanks it a little bit i feel like yeah the backhand for me is just like it lacks he likes the drive in it. It is like has too yeah. much spin because like probably as you said, like he I feel like I felt the same thing, just keeps it too close to his body. So like I feel like he needs to like improve on that one. And because of that, he's been running even like the same problem as like a Tsitsipas or like how Dimitrov ran into uh Rublev, which is like just like can't be on the ad side and like leaving so much space like over there that like on offer on the forehand side, like a player just kind of like can rip a back and down the line when he has time or even just like run around it and just leave this open yeah. but yeah like i feel like needs to as you said like he needs to have a full reset like he needs something to yeah. go on we'll see if he makes any changes also to his coaching team yeah because maybe the whole tony nadal thing is not quite an ideal situation for him given that he's not 100 percent always going to be there for Felix at all costs like if he's playing rafa or if he's and because yeah. he's still part of the academy and the whole things maybe not maybe he could be better with a different setup i don't know yeah. but probably has a lot of thinking and work to do in the off season For but sure. yeah. it, it's all right because he can still come back and still have a really good start he just needs like a fresh green slate basically and then start back totally the end of the world although he's very good indoors so this part of the season yeah. is usually very lucrative for him and same with february so was, yeah because he actually started the year somewhat well. He lost two two tournaments in a row to Medvedev, which is kind of understandable, <laughs> the form that he was on. He was okay yeah. until, until Indian Wells. He, I remember Indian Wells, he'd won that epic match against Paul, and he he played Alcar as well. It was a good match. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then ever since then, then he had the knee thing in Miami, that kind of, since then, he's... It's just been a little bit of a sleeper slope for him. But yeah, maybe in Basel, he's going to be able to just like find himself like a, a bit a bit of form. Like he's going to have the points to defend and maybe he's got more to Basel. He's playing, he's playing Vienna. That's true. Right? Yeah. Weird. But I guess this is the same week. It doesn't really matter in terms of like defense of the points. Yeah. But yeah, maybe I would have come back to, to Basel if I were him. Actually, I don't even think he's playing Vienna. He's playing Tokyo this week. 
That's and... true. I think it's true, eh? Yeah, he, he's playing Tokyo this week. It probably makes sense in terms of... I don't actually think he's yeah. even on the entry list for Barzo. Yeah. It might make it might make some sense for him because he's already in Asia and he's not really yeah. he doesn't really not have to adjust much to the time he's not playing touring anyway so yeah uh, but so I think I think he'll play Tokyo this week we'll see how that goes but um yeah, yeah. he's playing Tokyo and I mean that's like the main event but then that's where like Fritz and Rude and Rona and everyone will try to qualify mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, it's gonna be tough, <laughs> but yeah, yeah we'll see. Same with Like, I feel like a lot of these players are just searching for form. Yeah, Tsitsipas has been in a rough time as well. Yeah. Yes, hasn't gone well for him since the start of the U.S. swing, really. Wow. And also, there's coaching stuff happening and relationship. Combine that with the the tennis, um, he's still coming up unstuck against lefties and big servers, and um, could play Stricker already in the first round of Antwerp this week. Mm. What do you yeah, think? I mean, yeah. Honestly, it's just like just try to qualify for the year and finals, and then just see what else is left of this year. But he has yeah. some uh, improvements to make for sure. Yeah, and I think he's been hitting like most of the shots kind of well. I feel like it just his mind is just, also the interest with his coaching staff has been so irregular. Like sometimes he has a he has full posters and then he doesn't, and then he's. And then after the U.S. Open, he said he's only going to have him for the U.S. swing. Didn't yeah. really go great at the U.S. Open, and then now he's back with dad. Yeah. And the the dad dynamic with him and his son, there's always a part of him that's attached to his dad and his yeah. and that coaching philosophy. But as long as he sticks with it now and doesn't keep trying to change and yeah. do these things, so we'll see if if things happen. Yeah, who knows? He, he only basically had dad before, like when he did like most of his big runs. So yeah. Was, there was just a lot more scrutiny on the relationship when there wasn't that much when there wasn't coaching allowed. Now that it is, it just feels like you know. This is this is ready to go. Yeah, he wanted to use like that other voice, who is more qualified as a coach than his dad, mm. in terms of the technical improvements and changes he has to make. But the issue is just sometimes he goes so overboard with the coaching and and with the and he's constantly yelling at him in Greek and things and Tsitsipas looks kind of uncomfortable and he's not always very receptive to it and yeah. you can see that that kind of stresses out his game a bit more and it's yeah. happened last year the year in finals it happened this year against Medvedev and Rome and these things just keep flaring up but I, I feel a little bad for him because it's not always just you know people can say on Twitter that oh you know you should just get rid of his dad you should just fire him but it's really not that simple when you yeah. have that father-son like there's a lot going on we don't know mm-hmm. so uh it's tough, but like, yeah, I, I mean, the triple process thing wasn't uh, quite jumping in his mind the way he would have hoped. Yeah. And you, you talked about lefties, and um, we already talked so much about Sisipas here, but um, a new guy that's coming up, um, you mentioned lefties as well, Ben Shelton, did, did yes. better this week. Um, I feel like the biggest. And I've read also on Twitter, not to say this is my only my full, uh, personally, my, I'm not taking 100% credit for this analysis, but he's been playing with more of a plan. He feels like he has more intention in his shots. Whereas the, more really yeah, a lot of the, the US Open um, just felt like energy and just like, he just like, you know, just going all in because of the, the, the New York crowd and just hitting 140, 150, whatever. How fast he can hit his serves, but just because he just kind of felt like it, um, he can still hit those. But I definitely felt like 
the way he was hitting yeah. the backhand, uh, I felt like it was a lot full of topspin, just kind of like just trying to like make something happen and just yes. making it a rally uh, shot. I thought it was I thought it was great. Played a great match against Porto. If you add those elements to yeah. better backhand, better rally tolerance, more patience, more point construction. Yeah. All of a sudden, you have a top ten player, no doubt, because the serve is one of the best in the game. Yeah. It's so hard to read. Uh, it's he could actually still get even better with the serve. It could be more precise. For it could sure. be even yeah. more. He could make more first serves. He could be. He, he's also not afraid to roll the dice on the second. He has his volley game can get even better. It's already pretty handsy. He has good feel and touch. The forehand is very good, very big, and then just the energy that he brings every single point and the the passion that he plays with, mm-hmm. which it just seems like he can just keep doing that for hours and hours. And he's, uh, yeah, like, this is the first time he's won back-to-back matches outside of the Australian Open and the U.S. Open on the main tour level. Mm-hmm. This week, and he managed to beat center, coming back from a set down, and he just got so many unreturned serves. Yeah. Um, he won the unreturned serves battle by a big margin against center, and that seemed to help him because center is such a good returner, but he couldn't return a lot of those first serve deliveries back on a consistent basis and then yeah. just packaged it so well with the rest of the improvements and I think he's a good guy in general because he brings something different and fresh to tennis yeah he's like a fresh young face 2021 20, so far none of his behavior to me has really crossed the line in any way he just is very celebratory he comes from a college background he's just very enthusiastic kind of like you know, some people can say it's over-the-top celebrations, but I don't think it's intended to be like that way. It's more just to bump himself up, and it's kind of the way he knows how to play, right, for Wolves and Junior. Yeah. And I guess he's kind of transcending the celebra- the sport with the celebration of the... Yeah, the already signature. <laughs> so you already see people in other sports, like, copying it. and It existed before Ben Shelton did it, but it was just meant as a joke for his, his folks on the track team that he had and. Yeah. Back in school in Florida. And just, it, was, it was just a fun little, you know, thing sometimes that can become viral. Yeah. And now he basically does it up for every. Yeah. Thing. So, so it was, it was good for me to, uh, checking in like some as well. Again, I uh, couldn't really catch any match for real this week because everything was overnight. But like uh, the highlights and extended highlights I saw, like this Shelton quarter match was really good. Bit nervy at times, like. Did you see tennis TV yeah. done a really good job this week with the uh, highlights? Yes. Yeah, yeah. But and in general, like overall, they're just doing great work when it comes to content, and then yeah, they're showing like points in different angles. Yeah, I saw that, but uh, there's some angles I like more than the other. I think I just like the traditional angle the best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Traditional. Sometimes it can be good to watch the angle just to see like how far. I like yeah, how just get like a different them. context out of it. Yeah. I like how they include all of them so you can like choose the one yeah. you like and just like okay. good exposure to the game. Um, yeah. And then like the quarter Shelton match was pretty wild too. Yeah. I love it. I loved both how, yeah. I love how like it showed like a different personality for both of them. Yeah. Um, but also quarter's returns were ridiculous. <laughs> it was like he was up 6 1 in that third set tie break and then the yeah. he just he wasted a lot of those points and yeah. Let it go back to six all, and he got so tight. Yeah, and then and then he finally pulled it out eight six. Some good composure at the end, and then Shelton told him at the net that you know you're, that backhand inside in winner you hit was ridiculous. I hit like a one forty five, and you still returned it with a winner. But 
Cordo is also one of these players that's just so smooth to watch. Like just the yeah. stroke production and how tight he stays to the baseline. And he he's kind of like a hybrid of like I, I don't know, like he's like a hybrid of like Federer, yeah, and like Burdich. Because mm. he has like the ball striking of Burdich, and then he has like the the short stroke production and like the way he steps into the court and like how he can have all these certain shots and yeah. I guess the smoothness and the easiness with which he plays the game. I feel like his backhand reminds me. Some of it reminds me a lot of Agassi as well, like in just like yes. how kind of like short, like just like the short take back and just like a very smooth compact stroke, especially if the back end. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's like such easy power and it's exactly, like, it's very fluent and yeah. He can sometimes spray on his forehand. He can obviously still get physically a bit stronger than Ian right now. The serve can get a little better. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, the fact that he's 21 in the race and he skipped like three months of the year, three pretty big months. And I think it's like, yeah, if he can just stay healthy longer next year. Yeah, could be a break. Because he's, he's made second week of French Open before too, man. Same with Wimbledon. So he can definitely play on all surfaces. Yeah. He's beaten Alcaraz before on clay. He's beaten Medvedev now twice on hardcore. I mean, at mm-hmm. some point, some points in the second city, was just toying with Medvedev hmm. with his returns and how well he's, you know, using the game plan against Medvedev, mixing it up and yeah, punk and that serving volume. So yeah, he's like I think American men's tennis with Shelton and Korda in the mix gives us some more chances to maybe get to a slam final one day. I don't know about winning one, but time final would be the big step uh just checking in like just who sees who is in the race for uh for the next gen finals yeah, it's it's pretty all right <laughs> to be fair like obviously you had Alcaraz and Rune and Shelton and Musetti would be like the most interesting players but we all know that Rune is not playing Alcaraz is not playing Shelton yeah. is a question mark but yeah, yeah it'd be interesting to play that Go on or do it. Musetti, there was an incentive because he used to be in Italy. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it is. I don't know if he'll chase that this year, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's some other good, exciting players in that. Yeah. Feel that and I'm excited to see Stricker, for instance. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Arthur Fees is, is, is in it. And Fees, yeah. yeah. Fees is the big one. To me, Arthur Fees seems like, you know, the kind of guy that. Next year, we could be talking about him in the top 20. Yeah, maybe. And maybe he's the one that wins the whole thing in the end. Yeah. Maybe that's my cool. that's my early prediction. Without seeing the draws and without seeing any rule, I think she's going to win the tournament. Yeah. Well, he has one title, pick. so. <laughs> that's Sorry? That's a bold pick. Next. Yeah, to be fair. <laughs> if if Shelton plays, I'd pick Shelton, I guess. But what, we'll yeah. yeah. But, yeah, and it just... I guess like a final note, so we don't have to go too deep into those, but like we obviously had like um, three tournaments this week as well. We had like the, um, I can't, I don't remember the name yeah, of the city, Pagula but the fuck, Pagula, Pagula saw which I think Pagula. was, a, was, was big for her, like on a personal and emotional level, because, yeah. because of her mom being from South Korea and from Seoul yeah. and that story about how she was adopted. She was left Seoul. at a police station, yeah, adopted. Yeah, it was it was pretty pretty wild. I mean, that story, and then uh, like four years later, winning the title. And I think she pretty much beat everyone. She was playing there, uh, like she was just a heavy favorite in every single match. There was one set that she dropped along the way mm-hmm. against Claire Lou. Yeah. But then she came back right back to work and won the next two sets, six three six zero. And then yeah. the final uh, was 
close for about four games and then Pagula went on a stretch where she won like nine games in a row and then kind of separated herself and then second set actually got tighter a bit again but mm-hmm. managed to close it out it was some yeah. good some good tennis I definitely felt I definitely felt like um, if if this was a bigger tournament more better players were playing Pegula's level was not her best I feel like she she yeah. locked she locked in like for a lot of the points and she showed like a lot of what she's good at but she made a few errors here and there that like were most likely due to like being nervous and just like actually more towards like the end of sets and then towards the end of the match um, in the final I did, did feel like it was important for her, and I, at first when I looked at where she was playing, I was I, was, I realized that wait, why is why is Pegula playing Sol and and this two fifty? Because I didn't really see the name of the the tournament. I saw why is why is she playing there and like not the five hundred this right now? And I checked that oh, it's it's in Korea, so it makes a lot of sense for her to be there. Um, so she's one yeah. of those players that just loves to play matches, yeah, and just just win win because she wins so many, she plays so many, and it's like is she at almost under fifty right now? This year, yeah, I think this year it's like 128 now. If you combine mixed yeah. doubles and singles, and she goes deep in all of them, and it's like at some point, I think I wonder if that actually hurts her in singles in the majors. Yeah, maybe because she's she takes all three super seriously. So like even on her days off, she's playing those matches, and I wonder if like emotionally, she has what it takes to like really raise her level, like she would in a 1000 or a 500, where maybe she's not playing that week in doubles. Mm-hmm. Or singles, but she's also one of those players that just doesn't like to practice as much and prefers to play play matches and get the reps in that way. So she's always giving herself ten chances to win one major every single time because she has three tries and she's just so good in all three. She hasn't actually won one yet. She's been to a final and won doubles, finals and mix this year. Mm. But uh that is something I have to start factoring when I look at Pagula and Slams. Because I've picked her now deep to go reach semis and finals because I felt like the quarterfinal thing wasn't actually a real mental block. Like some people were making it out. I thought that it was, I thought she was going to get over that hurdle. But mm-hmm. then now that I think about the mixed and the doubles and it just makes me think like, okay, maybe she might get to a point where she hits a wall in some of these tournaments, sports round quarters. She comes up against someone who's playing really well on the day, like a Madison Keys. And then, you know, maybe just doesn't, doesn't have that extra yeah. step, but doesn't yeah. matter, like regardless. And it's easier to, to to play well in doubles in a way because like you know, you have your partner that is like less movement in a sense. Obviously, the grand slams are like a full set and like the games work just like the singles. But at the same time, it's still like there is less movement that goes in. So like physically, you can stay fresher and like there's obviously less matches as well. So it can be a good way to warm up on the off days, and it can be as long as it's not like occupying a lot of space in your mind. Yeah, stuff like that, but. You know, but it's 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 just not something that the rest of the top ten have. Let's say, yeah, like she's sure. she's rare in that regard. I guess Krijikova when she gets to the top ten, similar boat. But, um, but like yeah, like Korhar is probably just good for Korhar, for Cancun just to get some of those matches because match wins are match wins regardless. So. Exactly. And we also had uh, Wen winning. Uh, man, I'm gonna get this, the name of the city. Hold on, like I I knew it, but then I forgot. War. She played in Jinjo. Yeah, that's what I yeah. Jinjo. Yeah. Uh and she won it and she did like a little karaoke session at yeah, that, was awesome. that was so cool. I wish other tournaments do that now. <laughs> like, funny. Before, but yeah. she's, she was she sang beautifully, by the way. But that was just uh, <laughs> I didn't understand what she was saying because it was in Chinese, but yeah. 
but also it sounded musical and it sounded in tune. So, hmm. <laughs> but but the main thing is like her tennis is very in tune right now because like Cindy yeah. Kachikova from a set down mm. in a five hundred finals uh, is no easy task, and I, I guess it was very even match until about four all in the third set. And then, because like they tried to do all these breaks, and Krajikova had a couple of chances to go up three one in the second, and Jing Wen saved it with two really big serves, got out of that game, and then broke twice. Krajikova broke twice, and then Sorol, fifteen forty plays a great game to break, and Krajikova makes a couple of loose serves, and then she served out of love and six four in the third. So mm-hmm. well done to her, and she also beat Sakari along the way. She beat yeah. some other. Bringing pretty decent players, and it wasn't the most stacked 500 if we compare to the other 11 of this year, but it was still very uh, at level. I feel like yeah, yeah, at level, especially with the opponents that she had to beat and win. Uh, and so, and then, and then it continues our great form from the Asians Asian Games as well, which she ended up winning. Mm-hmm. She's starting to do really well in Asia, which is not easy because she also has a lot of pressure and she's quite hyped and rightfully so because she's a big star in terms of her personality in interviews and also in yeah. where she comes across after matches and just the game that she has. It's a very big game. Mm-hmm. Like she has a, she has, she plays aggressive front foot tennis. Really like, you know, dominates on the first two or three shots of the rally, like pretty complete off of both wings. The serve can still get even better. It's already getting yeah. more improved. And then she doesn't have a coach right now because there was that. Whole yeah. Coach. I was about to say, yeah, I think, I think it's interesting, especially like after the whole, Maybe that's giving her some more drive and motivation because she was not. Yeah, exactly. I was, I was, I was happy to see that like she did, she did well in spite of the situation and instead of like going on the spiral and like playing badly. Yeah. I think not to obviously throw shade at like um, Fissette and his or uh, her former coach who like pretty much ditch her to play, to go with um, um, Naomi yeah. Osaka. I'm not entirely sure. Obviously, like we don't know yeah, our yeah, terms of the contracts. It's obvious. But it didn't look like a friendly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and in her yeah, mind, I think yeah. she felt like she was cheated because yeah. she, she didn't think that, you know, she she wanted more of a, the communication was a bit off, it seemed like. Yeah, probably, yeah. Because like if I was her, if I was a coach, like I kind of understand it from her pers- perspective, his perspective too, that like, if you're like looking for a stable like way to make money, Maybe you'll go back to someone who you had a good rapport with for two years who yeah. was offering you like a probably a much better deal. Yeah. Just in terms of like the star power and the whole this yeah. thing. And then I also get it from Shin Wen's side, where it's like, you know, I achieved all these things, we were ready for a breakthrough and then and then now you're you leaving without telling me. So it's I, I get both sides. I don't really no one really knows like what happened. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. But in Just, her mind, yeah. for her to use that as a little motivation and fuel and not yeah. let herself down for five months and not have great results. Yeah, and then coming back, is it? Yeah. That's probably that's her biggest title, right? Yes, for sure. That's her biggest title. She and had. at home, so that's it's it's all the good ingredients for like. A, it is, you know, and she, sure. and she won Palermo after Wimbledon as well. I was looking this up. She was seventeen and thirteen on the way to Wimbledon, and I was kind of waiting. Like I was waiting and waiting. I was like, when is Jung Chin Wen gonna win something big? When is she gonna make that splash? You know? Yeah. Are we slightly overhyping her? Like I, I was starting to have these questions in my mind because. I just wasn't sure if our game had caught up yet to the level that people were talking about. Yeah, she lost early in the majors, and but then after Wimbledon, she really put it together. Like she won a clay two fifty in Palermo, then she reached the quarters of the U.S. Open, and her losses were not bad losses. They were to like Sabalenka, mm-hmm. Shinatek, Ribakina, and then like so, she's like she was seventeen and thirteen before Wimbledon. Now she's seventeen and five after Wimbledon. So yeah, huge, huge general win percentage gain. 
two titles and also the Asian games, which I didn't even count, but yeah, it's uh, good for confidence for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe she'll win the WTA elite. Who knows? Yeah. Because it's, it's also held in China and she seems to really embrace that pressure. And, and I did, I, I read that she is the recipient of the wild card. So yeah. It, yeah. it was on and Twitter. Actually, she's already yeah. based on her, based on her ranking. She's good enough. Exactly. To yeah. So she would be there probably. I think she would play. There's nothing, and again, like I guess it goes like by with like, she has obviously no chance of like making the WTA finals, but um, she, so why not do the elite trophy? I think it would be really good motivation for uh the lower twenties, like the lower top twenties. I think to to make it, but we'll see. Good week for Krajikova too to get to the final, and mm-hmm. sometimes you lose matches like this. She ended up winning the five hundred in San Diego against Kenan. Yeah. And it was the same kind of situation for all facing breakpoints. There she was able to get out of that jam and hold and put the pressure on Kennan and yeah. break to win the match here. It wasn't quite able to work out for her, but I thought it was played played at a pretty high level, the third set. The mm-hmm. first couple of sets were very one way in terms of six two, two six or two yeah. six six two. So it already came down to the third and um, you know, still still pretty decent big shoes yeah. eleven she's I think eleventh in the race. She kind of been missing for a big part of the year after Dubai. She lost those yeah. tournaments in a row to Sabalenka, and then after that, she said that she was ready to be one of the big four, <laughs> uh, yeah. which didn't end up working well in her in her favor, and she lost a little bit of confidence. She got injured also in Wimbledon. Yeah. Hurt her a little bit. Um, but then after US Open, she's rebounded nicely, and kind of kind of weird, because I did expect her to be in the top 10 by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. She's kind of back to where she was, but in a different sort of way, where she's won a couple of big titles, yeah. 500 level plus, um, and she's obviously very capable of doing it again. So, mm-hmm. should we continue this this way? I don't think I think she'll be in the mix. And just one last note, finally as well. Like um, I'm Canadian, and I'm happy that um, Leila Fernandez won. Another title, yes. the third of her career. Uh, her season was like up and down, like wasn't the best. Like she is now, uh, she was number 60 last time I checked, but she probably would jumped up a bit. I don't know she's in the little rankings. I think she's 37 in the race. Yeah. Okay. So they, she might be doing better now because she almost, she almost dropped out of the top 100, I believe, yeah. this year. Um, Let's see. Yeah. Let me tell you the rankings. Okay. Let's. Yeah. So 60 to yeah. 43 is a good jump. And this was one of the stronger 250s, like to go through Azarenka or beat. The... Who retired, by the way. Uh, yeah, Azarenka, yeah, that's who retired. Yeah. And, then, and then also the match against Mira and Drivo was big coming back. Yeah, from the set down. that was a good one. Tense one of your rivals in the near future. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was like kind of a statement win, like I'm still the alpha kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, against one of the best 16-year-olds I've seen yeah. in a while. And I think, really good. yeah, I think her... For uh, for this problem has been, her game has just not been at the level that she's wanted it to be. I think her mentality has been really good. Kind of been, she's yeah, fought a lot. Yeah, I'm really impressed with how she persevered this whole year. Exactly. She yeah. No. Great. She took a lot of tough losses, like kind of on the chin. Yeah. She dealt with some pretty rough draws, if I'm being really honest. Like yeah, like Zandrova first round of U.S. Open, like that's brutal. Uh, yeah. And then like, because Zandrova barely missed getting, you know. Like she could have gotten many other better draws. She got Garcia a few times. Yeah, Garcia like three times in the year. Each time Garcia played like one of her best matches of the year and like seemed to always peak against her. And then 
Like, I don't know, they were for like the Hataj Mile winning it over her in San Diego. And like, same thing, she just played like a peak third side. And yeah. like, but Dana is like always looking to like keep getting better. And she's like, she's really grinded this whole year. Like, yeah. I think grind, grinding is definitely the better word. Uh, to describe how her season was, because he wasn't he wasn't great tennis wise. I think she played good matches yeah. in there, took tough losses as you mentioned. There was a time um, this year where yeah. she was like struggling with her ball toss quite a bit. Yeah, she was. I think and she changed her service motion. You should I check think it out. New yeah. Service motion looks a lot more efficient to me because she's yeah. and she's still hitting the wide serves really nicely. She's still getting the nice angles. Yeah. It's opening up the court because that's ultimately what you want. Because she's never gonna have the biggest serve. She's five foot four. Or five foot three, maybe. I don't. I think she's like on the shorter end. She's on five. She's the same. She's about the same height as uh, Ash Barty. I think she's five foot six. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, but but just in, in stature, she's probably not one of the stronger, yeah. muscular type girls. Let's yeah. say. So she has to work harder to win points. So for yeah. her, like that placement on the serve yeah. with the new motion and like the it's it's looking better. Like I didn't see any issues with her toss. The yeah. Whole, it was a lot better. She still got broken a couple times. That's to be expected. To be fair, right? Yeah. Um, I would. I do wish she would. Um, it's probably a bit of a style of play, but I do like when she takes a step back sometimes, like off of the the, base, the baseline instead of like yeah, taking so many shots off of the half volley. Because yeah. yeah, especially on the forehand side, is the one that she can get like more loopy and like lands a little short. Uh, that Sinyakova used that a lot to her favor. Uh, but I was so I was really glad to see that Leila just kind of raised her level and started like actually kind of like ripping a little bit more, be more on the attacking side. I thought she she used the slice a lot better as well. Uh, a good slice. Yeah, I think she should use it more more often. To be fair, yeah. but yeah, I like it. I like the way she's able to defend uh, with her passing shots. Yeah, but that was a yeah. She she absorbs the pace really well. She's yeah. got these like. Because you stand so close to the baseline, you don't need to take huge swings. Mm -hmm. But sometimes she, you're, you're definitely right. Like sometimes she would be better off being like four or five feet behind the baseline and just absorbing a little bit more pace and then yeah. working her way back up. I think that could help her, especially on clay as well. Mm, yeah, but she's she's done well in the past, and that strategy seemed to work actually in some of those matches. Yeah. Um, what else? Oh yeah, I was gonna say that I think the move to play doubles with Taylor Townsend is really paying off. Maybe yeah. Like, in, in a sense, like, not right now, but I think in the long term it will. Yeah. Because, like, Townsend is a good mentor to have for her. It's kind of like an older sister of the tour, and she's, like, really taking Leila under her wing, and yeah. they had some really good doubles results. Yeah. Which, uh, which I, I thought it was interesting how, yes, yeah, I thought it was so interesting how they played such a high level, like, in uh, in doubles the whole year. Um, yeah. made a couple of finals and then the first title that Layla wins this season is in singles so like I think yes. it was it was kind of it's yeah. a shame that they weren't rewarded with at least one title in those yeah. doubles because that could have been devastating too like they worked so hard all of them to get there and they yeah. they just narrowly lost out in some of those matches but yeah. no I think it's going to help her like in the long run and I was reminded she was only 21 because she yeah. just turned 21 yeah, Please she's just a month. Well. She's just a month older than uh, Raducanu. Yeah, because she turned nineteen during the US during the US Open. Yeah. yeah, so she's so uh, she's setting herself up for a good twenty twenty four. I think if she can get herself seated for Australia, that's a big win. Yeah, that's and just to to go back to your point of a next gen final uh, in uh, in the WTA, that would be great because then Layla would yeah. qualify. Um, 
And then we have Mira and Driva qualifying as well. There's a yeah. few others. Oh, Andrea was 16. My goodness, he's born in 2007. I think Fruvertova should yes. qualify as well. Fruvertova, Noshkova, like, Noshkova. Yeah, there's still a lot of good players who are 21 and under, I think. It would have been a great field. Yeah. It could have been a great um, joint tournament if the ATP made it with them. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Maybe something in the future. Yeah. I don't know. But... When they merge. <laughs> If that ever happens. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I guess it covers it all. Like, what's the what's next yeah. week's tournament? Um, after the US Open, it's always a little bit of a blur for me. It's just kind of not exactly sure what's going on. But we have Next week, Tokyo. we have Tokyo. Oh, sorry, sorry. We have Tokyo on the, on the ATP side, which is a 500. Then we have Stockholm and yeah. Antwerp, which are two fifties. Yeah. And... We have Luna as the number one seed and Tocchitsipas as the number one seed. And we have Monastir, where Anders is unfortunately not playing. And yeah. another uh, tournament in China, and then China Open. Jiangxi Open, actually. And the Trestlevania Open in Romania. Yes. Kluge, Napoca. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's a, it's a bit of a lower stakes WTN yeah. next week. Um, since, like, you probably won't see a lot of the top 20 players playing. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe a few, like I think I've had my eyes playing in Romania and stuff, but for the most part, I think because the field was already set in Cancun, yeah, uh, it's more of a lighter week for them. Yeah. For men, the big tournament is Tokyo, and then you got a couple of top players in the other. Yeah. It's trying to get the final. Well, but now we're back on track, like no more Wednesday through Tuesday, yeah. and no more two-week masters, so we're back on to the regular Monday through Sunday schedule, which is what, like, we're all used to. Yeah. Which is good. But yeah. Uh, yeah. So great to have finally uh, another talk of tennis. Uh, the first podcast in a while that I actually uh, record with you. But you have great times as always. Uh, pretty long one. So I guess we covered everything from basically since the US Open up until today. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. I'm actually pretty happy we were able to do that in, you know, an hour and a half, which is. Pretty good. Mm-hmm. That was yeah. a lot we covered. <laughs> yeah. All right. So thanks very much. And uh, thanks for everyone who's listening to that. Uh, thanks for sticking around. Um, follow us on our social media. We are on Twitter at Tennis and Bagels. Uh, we do have an Instagram where sometimes I post, but it's not super often. But if you want to give us a follow there as well, that's yeah. something that you can do. And uh, on YouTube, where we post all of these videos as well. Um, you can look at our faces as we uh, do this podcast thing. And you got some I, gaming content. I do got gaming content. I'm not sure if people like this, but I love doing it. I, I know game tennis games. There is a community that likes them. Unfortunately, uh, like most things in tennis, it sucks to make tennis games and it just kind of got dropped off back in 2014. And there's no major titles, I believe. So that's the sadness of the thing like tennis another ball dropped in terms of the tennis marketing world that like it could bring in new fans but alas it is what it is uh uh yeah thanks so much for listening and for following us everywhere and uh liking our content so yeah thanks so much thanks much for the podcast and see you later bye